This is the Alpha Universe Podcast. I'm Christopher Robinson, editor of alphauniverse.com. And in today's show, I'm speaking with National Geographic photographer Ira Block about photo essays in an Instagram world. In Tech Talk, Sony's LD Nadia explains how IAF works and how to set it up on your camera. And we get some do this now tips from Ira Block for getting National Geographic caliber photos. Ira Block is the consummate photojournalist. A true professional, his work became known to the world through the pages of National Geographic. Starting out shooting film and working for his college newspaper at the University of Wisconsin, Block's career has taken place during a period of incredible transition in photography. He's been quick to embrace any new technology that enables him to get a great picture. And today, a new generation of photographers is being awed and inspired by his frequent posts on Instagram. My guest today is Ira Block. Welcome, Ira. Thank you, Chris. Glad to be here. Going from a newspaper where a lot of times it's spot news and even sports, you know, it's kind of getting that decisive shot from the game to the geographic where it's all really about the photo essay and the long form story. How did you make that transition? That transition was actually easy. I think being trained doing spot news and sports really makes you familiar with your equipment and very nimble operating it. So when you make a transition and suddenly start going to more long form essays, your equipment and the technical aspects and all the mechanical aspects are something you don't worry about because you've spent the training knowing what you need to do and doing it quickly. And so when you are crafting an, um, a photo essay for, say, the National Geographic, and I, I'm focusing on geographic because you had just a long career you know, with them, but that kind of photo essay work, how much of it is preconceived versus what you get to the situation and start to investigate for yourself? How much of it is really storyboarded out? How much are you, you know, making a shot list versus let's see what, how this unfolds? It always varies how that works. I do a lot of research and I have to be careful because in your research and reading about things or looking now online, you come up with preconceived notions of what you need and then you get somewhere and find it's totally different. And if you are relying too much on preconceived notions, then you feel disappointed. So I, do research, I try to get a general idea of the how to tell the story, how to move it in a certain direction. But I try not to imagine pictures that will tell that story because sometimes those specific pictures in my mind don't exist. So you're, you're thinking out the story in your mind, but not necessarily the images for the story in your mind. It's like, this is gonna be the story and I have to find images and what's gonna unfold here. That's correct. I basically try to arm myself with as much research and then let things unfold in front of me or use that research to ask questions that get me to the next point in that story. You do a lot with Instagram. And so you've kind of gone from spot news to photo essay to spot photos again. How do you create a story in, in that kind of an environment? I use Instagram to help 
move ideas out to a large audience. And I guess part of my background from having shot actual photojournalism helps me create single images that really work well on Instagram. But those single images are only a small part of usually a bigger project that I'm working on at the time. For a lot of photographers, one of the, the great fears that they have, great challenges, is photographing strangers. Actually, you know, not lurking from across the road, but trying to approach someone and, and take their photograph. It's something that you've spent a career doing. What's some advice you could give to someone who, who is trying to get over that fear? You're right. A lot of people I meet that are photographers, that's the big fear they have. I like to do landscapes. I like to do animals because I'm afraid to do people. A lot of it has to do with your personality. Over the years, I've developed a personality that ingratiates me with people I work with. And that's a key thing if you're going to be a photographer of people. You have to learn behavior that works with people. And photographing strangers, there are different ways. There's the street photography way where you walk by and grab a quick frame and then keep going. Or there's the way where you get a permission, whether it's just by them seeing you with a camera, you nodding your head, them making a sign, get the hell out of here, or them <laughs> nodding their head that you could shoot. And for me, I don't like the street photography where you're stealing a picture because I'm so obsessed with composition and storytelling in the image where I need to relate my subject in the foreground to what's going on in the background. And in street photography, where you're just stealing an image, sometimes the background is a mess and distracts. You shoot a lot of portraits horizontally instead of, instead of vertically. Why is that? In general, I don't like vertical imagery in a vertical box. There's no dynamic to it. Everything's moving in one direction. So shooting a piece of architecture that's tall vertically, to me, doesn't work. For portraits, I like to get in close, and at times I'll cut the head off to get that close in, but what that does for me, it brings you into the eyes. And by cutting the head off, the top of the head, you really focus in on someone's eyes, and I'll further that by using light sources or reflectors that put a certain catch light in the eye, because the catch light will also open the eye. You know, it's just the way I see, and it's very similar to the cinematic look when you go to a movie theater and they do a horizontal format and they put a headshot in there. And that also has an effect of making the, the person sort of seem larger. They're actually coming out of the frame. They're not confined by the frame. Exactly. The, the composition just seems to uh, at least in my mind, to work for me. I know many people shoot vertical portraits, and I will if I have to do a portrait for a corporation 
or for an ad and they want a vertical portrait. But for my own work, my personal work, I tend to shoot these horizontally. How much lighting do you actually do? But whether it's on-camera flash, off-camera flash, a flashlight, how much of your work, especially for the geographic type of work, is, is lit? My geographic work was always lit because the last number of years I did a lot of science and archaeology where I had to create good-looking pictures of things that may not have been so interesting. So by lighting and using light, I can make the pictures look more dynamic. And that carries over whether you're using daylight, artificial light. It's all about looking at light and making the best use of it, whether you create it or it's there. So I do carry strobes. Sometimes I carry a lot of big studio strobes. Sometimes I could just use a small on-camera flash, which I generally take off-camera. How many flashes do you, do you typically have with you? Well, if it's a big lighting situation, I'll have cases and cases of lighting equipment, which also mean lots of stands, booms. Uh, if I'm just going around and don't anticipate taking a lot of light, uh, I'll take a small on-camera flash with a transmitter. When I was doing my baseball project in Cuba, because the colors were so sharp and important, I thought that flash would enhance the color and make it even more important to the picture. And so there I used a big flash that was hooked to a battery pack and tried to do as much as I could with that type of lighting. Let's talk about your, your Cuba baseball project for a minute. Um, how did that project get started? I've been to Cuba probably about 10 times since 1997, and I've seen all the changes. And I think it was back in 2012 or 2013, while I was there, I realized how important baseball was to Cuba's culture. And I'm a pretty big baseball fan, so it, it worked for me. And just doing the research, I found that They've been playing baseball there almost as long as we have. And baseball in the U.S. has become a big business. Mm -hmm. And I'm looking at baseball in Cuba, and it's still pure baseball. It reminded me of what baseball would have been like in the U.S. maybe in the 50s, maybe even earlier. And I knew at some point Cuba was going to change and baseball would change. So I thought, I've got to document this, get it done before there are any changes. So how long have you been working on the project altogether? I've been working on it for about three years. It's hard to stop when you're working on a big project. Oh, yeah. There is no exact, this is the end, this is the last picture. It's finished. It could go on forever. You have to give yourself a cutoff. And I remember the last day on the project, when I knew it was my last day of shooting, I was going back to the States the next day. And it was sad. It was really sad thinking, this is it, I put this time into it. And today, this day, I'm finishing this project. But I was with a group of older guys, veteran baseball players, 
And I felt good about it because I had taken the project all the way from the youth that played baseball up through teenagers, through professional players, and now I'd photograph these men who are in their 70s, who are still playing baseball and still love the game. And I thought this is a great way to end this you know, wonderful project. We actually ran some of those uh, at alphauniverse.com not too long ago. It's a really great, uh, great article and great photographs. Yeah, I was, you know, and those were the older guys. I, and I lit those guys and I, I decided to do portraits of them because as opposed to action because I had a great background and I brought out a strobe and just the faces and all the different quasi-uniforms they were wearing worked out to, you know, make a great set of pictures. And is there um, a book that's going to be coming out from the project? That will be coming out. There are some exhibits that I have planned, some going on now, and uh, more will happen with the book. We'll get those uh, exhibits in the show notes for this episode of the podcast. People can go and check that out. I'd like to shift gears for a second and talk about, well, about gear. You've been shooting for, you know, for a lot of years, and you've had a chance to shoot with all kinds of equipment. What made you switch over to Sony? You're right. I've shot with every different brand of camera, starting with film cameras, going into digital. And I switched to Sony because I like the form factor. I like the fact that I could be unobtrusive with their cameras. And that's what attracted me at first, that there was a full-frame camera that was a little smaller. But then when I started using it, I realized how great the files were. The Sony had and has terrific dynamic range. The high ISO capabilities are really beyond what I could imagine because when I was shooting film, ISO 200 or 400 was about as far as you could go shooting color transparency film. Now 200, 400, is where I start with these cameras. Right. What's your, your go-to camera setup now? And when I say camera setup, I mean, I know you, you do a lot of kinds of photography. I'm not trying to say like what's, but what is always pretty much with you? If I'm actually on an assignment or working on a project, I have the A7R2 with the new 24 to 70 2.8 G Master. I love that lens. It's razor sharp and I like being able to shoot times at 2.8 so I can knock out the background. So that's, that setup is always with me when I'm working. If I'm not working, if I'm just moving around the city, I usually have the A6300 or the RX100 with me. I always have a camera with me. I remember you admonished me when we had a, a previous meeting because I didn't have my camera with me. And it is very important, I think, for someone who's, if you're a photographer, you're a photographer, have your camera. And you never know where you're going to see a picture. It's when you don't have your camera with you that something happens and you see a photo. So for me, I just don't feel right unless the camera is some sort of camera is with me, something beyond the cell phone. The cell phone cameras are okay, but if you didn't have a real camera with you, you'd be, I'd be wishing, 
I would have rather gotten that with a, an actual camera. Talk about that for just a second, because we talked about you and how you use Instagram today. Um, but you're not shooting for Instagram with your, your cell phone. You're actually using a proper camera and then posting those images to Instagram, right? Yeah, most of the time. Every so often there'll be a quick shot I'll do with this cell phone camera. But normally I'm using one of my Sonys. And what's fantastic is the Wi-Fi capability. I could move the pictures over to my cell phone really quick. And I can also use NFC now with my particular uh, cell phone. So it's even faster. The pictures just show up there using Play Memories. You can find more about Ira's Cuba baseball project in the show notes at alphauniverse.com. In a few minutes, Ira Block will be back for our Do This Now segment to give us some of his best tips for getting National Geographic caliber photos. In today's Tech Talk, Sony's LD Nadia explains how IAF works and how to set it up on your camera. I'm here today with LD Nadia at Sony, and LD, thanks for joining us. Chris, thank you for having me. Eldine, I'd like to ask about the IAF technology in several of the Sony cameras. Exactly what is IAF and how does it work? I'll give you the non-technical answer first. It's one of the most amazing features I've ever used on a camera. Um, it enables me and anybody else who uses it to get you know, almost 100% hit rate when especially shooting people, obviously, because you're shooting an eye. Um, but essentially what it is, it's a technology that's built on Sony's face detection technology. And as we've progressed through the years with face detection technology, smile shutter technology, and now IAF, um, it utilizes the algorithms that were originally set up uh, for face and smile, uh, face, uh, face detection and smile shutter technology to develop IAF. So it identifies a face using face detection technology and it can also identify an eye. So um, it, it'll know if an eye is close or far away from it. In other words, if a model or a person that you're shooting turns their head to the left or to the right, uh, you know, in typical um, rules of photography, you want to pick the closest eye and the camera can actually do that. It could pick the closest eye and focus on that eye. So essentially, it's really one of those key technologies that only a live view camera or a mirrorless camera can actually do properly. And utilizing the entire width of the sensor can use continuous AF, so it can track the eye. You know, you hit the shutter and you know you're going to nail the shot almost every single time. So um, talking about the IAF, what's the best way to set that up? So setting up IAF, it really depends on the type of shot that you're, or the type of photography that you're on. Assuming that um, you know, you're shooting portraits and you're shooting with fast and wide lenses, what I typically do is I set my AF area in wide so I can cover the entire frame. And this is really beneficial because I use the uh, A7R Mark II and most recently I've been using the A9 
But, you know, this works equally as well on all other Sony cameras with IAF. So set it on wide. I also set it on continuous. Um, the reason why I set it on continuous is normally when I'm shooting portraits, I'm going to be wide open. And if I put it on a single shot and either I move ever so slightly or my model or person that I'm shooting moves ever so slightly, that single AF, you know, may, it's going to lock the focus in a specific spot. So continuous AF in wide allows the camera to track across the entire frame. I then go into the custom key menu settings and uh, I set a custom key for my IF and people can choose different locations to put it. I normally recommend to put it somewhere on the back of the camera so that you can access it with your thumb. I know some people put it on the you know C1 and C2 which is on the top of the camera right next to the shutter button and I can I uh, always wonder how they actually push the shutter and the IAF button at the same time because you need to do that. So I normally recommend putting it at somewhere on the back of the camera where you can reach it with your thumb. Essentially, you can also set it to the, the button on the lens if your lens is so equipped, right? Absolutely. So that was a, a recent firmware update, uh, you know, maybe only a few months ago. And uh, a lot of the lenses uh, have focus hold buttons. Uh, it, it becomes really, really handy. If you're using a lens and you, and you use mostly lenses with focus hold buttons, 7200, 85, etc. I think, uh, you know, even the 90 macro, which is a surprisingly good portrait lens as well, you can assign the IAF to the focus hold button, which, you know, is really beneficial because then you're really concentrating with your right hand on holding the camera and pushing the shutter button, your left hand where you're holding the lens, you can put IAF on, on the focus hold button. The only downside to that is if you switch lenses and the other lens that you have doesn't have a focus hold button, then you don't have IAF on that button. Sure, yeah. So... Yeah, so so that that's typically how I approach it, you know, and I, I like to have face detection on as well. The reason why I have face detection on is because I can see a little box appear around the face, and then I know that I'm tracking the face already even before I push the IAF button. Uh, you don't have to, though. Hmm. Um, I just find it easier to do it that way. Great. Well, thanks very much for that. Thank you very much. You can submit your questions to the Sony team. Go to the Alpha Universe Facebook page to contact us. The gold standard in photography has always been found in the pages of National Geographic. In today's Do This Now segment, Ira Block returns with some advice to get photos that you don't have to make excuses for. So we're back for our Do This Now segment, and Ira, for a photographer to make an immediate improvement in their photography, what advice would you give to them to do right now that's going to make a big difference? There are two things. The first is get closer. People look through a viewfinder, and in their brain, they're seeing the image large, but you have to really know what your camera is seeing. And you've got to get closer. Most people that show me pictures, that's the, one of the biggest mistakes. They're just not close enough. And the other thing is you have to use a faster shutter speed. Even though the cameras are stabilized, that keeps you steady, but it doesn't keep your subject steady. And if your subject is blurred, you have to throw out the picture. And with the Sony cameras, the high ISO capability means you can get a faster shutter speed. You could boost your ISO up to 
1,200, 1,600, 2,000 in ordinary situations and get really good looking images. And that gives you the ability to work at a five hundredth of a second, a thousandth of a second. Even the two of us sitting here talking to each other, if you photograph someone speaking, their head's moving, their mouth's moving, and if you're not at least at 125th or 250th of a second, you're gonna see movement in their face. It's great. Thanks very much, Ira, and thanks very much for being a guest today on the Alpha Universe podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, Chris. Thanks for tuning into the Alpha Universe podcast. You can find the show notes for this episode at alphauniverse.com. Subscribe to the Alpha Universe podcast at iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts.